lives around the world right now that are linked to our story and that we're linked to their story through what Samaritan's Purse and Operation Christmas Child makes a reality. <laughs> the church can sometimes think that it's all about what I'm doing inside my walls. And so part of what this allows us to do is connect in the larger church. We are opening doors for other churches and other parts of the world to do ministry in their local community. The shoebox opens a door. It's more than a box. It's church planting. It's community transformation. Beyond the shoeboxes, the greatest journey disciples them and nurtures them. One church can only do so much, but the church sharing a common vision allow for us to connect across 
the nations to reach people that no one church could ever reach by themselves. There's a real story on the other end of that box. And so why wouldn't you want to be a part of a story like this? It is that time of year where we are neck deep in Operation Christmas Child or just beginning the process of that, and we want to encourage you to be involved. Um, we have two opportunities. The lights are kind of weird right now. Could you hit greeting or announcements or something so I can see who I'm talking to? The, uh, they're, they're Operation Christmas Child, I have had the privilege of actually going on a, uh, a distribution site, and it is just like you saw. Um, the Christmas gift that you pack, the boxes that you pack, and the information's on the internet. We've got information back there. We're encouraging each family to do that, at least one or two or five or 50. Um, but what, you, what happens is those boxes are sent from here to Dallas. They're open. They're looked at. There are certain things we can't send global, obviously. Military toys, fuel, small bombs, stuff like that cannot go. So they look at it, and from there they're shipped to different locations across the globe. And they are distributed to, is it not possible to hit those lights? Just, Anna, could you hit that for me? Um, basically, what, thank you. There you are. Welcome to Carpenter's Way. Um, but uh, basically from there they go, they, they are connected by Samaritan's Purse with a local evangelical pastor. And then that pastor has an event where Samaritan's Purse comes in, and they distribute those gifts to children. And when they are distributed, each kid also gets a, bo a book called the greatest, uh, the greatest Gift, and it presents the gospel. And at that event, the gospel is presented, and children are given and families are given an oppor opportunity to respond to the gospel. But here's the really cool part. After that, each child who gets a gift is invited to be part of an 11-week discipleship process. This has a, a several impacts on the church. Number one, obviously, it teaches the child and the family about Jesus Christ. But on top of it, it teaches a pastor who may not have had any training how to disciple people. This is probably, I mean, from what I've seen, in my opinion, it's the most uh, amazing, full-throttled ev uh, ministry, evangelism, discipleship ministry I've ever come across. And we are privileged to participate in that more than just packing boxes, but actually receiving boxes. Uh, the week uh, before Thanksgiving, and that information is in your worship guide, it's called a National Collection Week. It's November 14th through the 21st, if you'll open your worship guide. And what happens is regionally, churches, every, just about every community has a gathering place, a church that they'll gather their local community's uh, gifts, and then they will put them in those huge cardboard boxes that uh, you've been seeing us have out here in the welcome area. Right now, each of, the, each of the local groups are picking up those boxes, those crates, and when the boxes come in, they crate those boxes, they put numbers, and then that uh, collection week, National Collection Week, the, uh, each area brings those boxes to us. We categorize them, we load them into a truck, and we send them on to Dallas to be shipped globally. We have an opportunity to actually be involved in every facet of that. And I just, I just want to tell you, I encourage you to be involved. We need your help. It doesn't happen without you. Uh, but basically, for that week, there's a morning session and an evening session from Monday to Monday, uh, from the 14th through the 21st. And especially that final Monday when we load up at least two semi-truck trailers. Uh, uh, there may be three this year. But we load those into the boxes. They leave early on Tuesday morning, and they head on to Dallas. But we need help loading those up. 
Um, if you have a strong back, even if you don't have a strong back, because we have to receive those boxes, we fill out information, we categorize them. So whatever your physical ability, we need help that week. And uh, how you sign up for that is when you leave, you'll see all those crates out there. In the front, there's a table. There's a Samaritan's First Table or an Operation Christmas Child Table. We need you to sign up for that. Um, it is a phenomenal ministry, and we need your help to make it happen. So if you would take some time to do that, if that could be part of your Christmas, it's cool because it's done by Thanksgiving, and then you can celebrate Christmas with your neighbors and friends and, uh, and have people into your home. But we really want to encourage you to participate in that. Now, for those of you uh, who are going to pack boxes, you'll notice that in the worship guide this week, uh, Wendy put in there an All About Me sheet. We do this with our children's ministry when they pack boxes. But uh, one of the amazing things that I saw when I was down in Panama at a distribution is uh, the kids open the boxes and they see their toys, but it is amazing to watch them. Look at the pictures of the people that sent the gift uh, to see, hear about their family. They read, uh, and when I was down there, they wanted me to thank the people who sent the gift because they were under the assumption I knew every American. But, but if you, look, I, I, know, I know that in a time where it seems like everybody knows your business, you don't want people to know you, these are little kids globally and family that will never be able to find you. Just put a picture of your family. Put a picture of your grandkids in there. What happens is uh, the, the, the pastors there say, look, these people loved you enough to buy this gift for you. And that's what Jesus did. He loved you enough even before you knew his father. He wanted to adopt you and forgive you your sins, so he sent his son. So it's a perfect it's a perfect connection to the gospel. So if you would take this and fill this out and put it in the sheet, uh, write a note to the kid. Um, some people actually put their address in there and the kids respond. So if that's something you're interested in as, as well, uh, the Secret Service of the United States of America already have your information. They know what you've been emailing or texting. So you might as well live it. Just own it and, and, and minister to kids. But this is, a, this is such a phenomenal ministry. And uh, we're really excited to be a part of it again. If you have any questions, you can call the office or you can talk to Robert Grimes, who oversees this as our missions pastor. And uh, uh, so please take note of that. I also want to mention that uh, coming up, uh, let's see, I think it's, it's next Sunday night, right? Is it next Sunday night, the manual business meeting? I don't have the date in here. Oh, the 13th, yeah. Uh, the 13th of November. Uh, that's not next Sunday. That's two weeks. We have our annual business meeting. And for those of you who are new to Carpenter's Way, uh, this is how they function. In the worship guide, two weeks prior to our annual, if, if you're visiting, just bear with me for a few minutes. We have some business to take care of. Two weeks prior to that meeting, we put in there the things that you'll be voting on. And you will notice that we have nominees for church offices. Uh, finance team is a deacon team. Trent Cook and Connie Rhodes are being no have been nominated for those positions. It is not one or the other. That is a yes or no. Um, then mission investment is Letney Head and Jared Pig. And then elder nominee is Mark Strong. Uh, and that night, so here's how this works. That night when we have our business meeting, there will be no discussion on these particular people. If you have concerns, questions, please see an elder before that meeting. Uh, this is not to shame people or to attack them. Uh, this is a yes or no, uh, and we want you to vote your conscience. Uh, so you come that night at 5 o'clock, and we're usually done about 5.05. So um, there are two other issues that we do want to bring your attention. Annually, you vote on the annual uh, budget. Uh, that will start January 1st and goes to December 31st. <coughs> that information is on the table. There's, uh, we asked you to take one for family if you'd like to peruse it. If you have questions, you can ask ahead of time or that night. If you have questions, we'll open it for questions then too. But we ask that you ask them ahead of time. That's why you have two weeks. Um, I, I don't know about you. I've been a part of church business meetings where it's, people feel really good about telling each other off. That's, that's not what we do here. 
Uh, we'll answer your questions. It is what it is. It's a yes or no vote. But we do want you to ask your questions, share your concerns. But that is, uh, that's our budget. There is one other issue this year that we are going, we have a constitutional amendment. Uh, we are tweaking what we have. Uh, at the end of our constitution, we have called what's called an indemnification clause. Um, and basically what that is, is that covers uh, uh, legally with our insurance certain, uh, our ministers, our volunteers, our, our staff, our elder council from being sued that uh, if somebody is serving the Lord here, uh, that they, are, they, are, they have an umbrella protection through our insurance. Um, our initial, uh, we found out this last year that our initial indemnification basically said they can do anything to anyone at any time and we'll cover them. Uh, our insurance was concerned about that. Basically, we will cover you anyone, anytime, any ministry, but if you shoot somebody, we're not taking the blame for that. That's basically the change in that. If you go and pick up the annual, okay, so you kind of understand that. For the actual wording, when you pick up your uh, budget, in the very back, on the back page, you're going to see the old indemnification statement. The Constitution, as it's written right now, that, that statement, and then you'll see the new one. So uh, please uh, take some time to review that. Um, the uh, budget needs to be passed by a quorum in that meeting of 50% of the people there. The constitutional amendment has to be 75% of the people uh, at that meeting. Um, so basically, that's how it goes. Uh, literally, all kidding aside, we will have questions if you have them. Again, please ask them ahead of time. We, we want to have a good dialogue. And in a meeting like that, it's not a good dialogue, usually. It, then you start, you know, but, but we want to answer your questions. So talk to us ahead of time. But in that meeting, we will say, hey, do you have any questions about the constitutional amendment? Do you have any questions about the budget that we can answer for you now? And we will answer those there. But well, what we want is dialogue as a family, and so that's why we have the two weeks. So please do that. That night, though, again, just, just to be clear, we will not have conversation about the individuals who've been nominated for church office. Now's the time for that because, um, well, they've been through a process. We've prayed for them, and uh, we don't want to shame people. We don't want to shame people. So uh, please, uh, please take note of that. Any, any questions about the annual business meeting? It's 5 o'clock on the 13th of November. That's a Sunday afternoon. Um, it's usually done literally by 5.15 at the most. So, um, all right. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time for our giving, uh, for our offering. For those of you who are new to Carpenter's Way, we have an annual huge pig out uh, where we have asked the Lord to forgive us for gluttony. Uh, um, that is our agape feast. It is the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. It's the day after uh, the Operation Christmas Child is over. And basically, everybody, it's a potluck dinner. We have you bring a couple plates. Uh, you'll notice that in there. It's in our worship guide now. It's November 22nd. I'm just giving you a heads up because sometimes we forget to tell visitors, that are, are, those who are new to the church, what this is. But we, we, we put tables up in this room. We pack it out. We eat. We sing a little bit, and then we go home. But it is a fun night. It's just a great time together, and we would really encourage you to participate with us in that. There's no cost. It tells you what you need to bring. But that's a big old family party, and we would, we would love to have you join us for that. Um, so let's pray, and uh, let's ask the Lord to uh, bless our time. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for what you're doing in our church family. Well, again, we want to thank you for all the folks who are surrendering their lives to you. And in recent weeks, the 20 folks that have been baptized, and Lord, others who are coming to know you, and we're all learning about you. It is our prayer, Father, that you would speak to us this morning in a very real way. We thank you for how you provide for us financially. 
how you provide for us uh, giftedness with the members of this flock. Uh, it is my prayer this morning, Lord, that as we continue through Thessalonians chapter 2 today, that you would, uh, you would help us to see things from your perspective, that uh, the things of the earth would grow strangely dim as we look in your face. Uh, we, need your, we need your transforming power in our hearts, in our minds, Father, in our eyes. We do love you. And, Lord, I thank you that you can bring a, a group of folks together from different socioeconomic path, uh, histories, from different racial histories, uh, from different gift sets and different doctrinal. We can all gather together around the cross of Christ and the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. We desire this morning to experience you in a very new and real way. So bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. a sinner now I'm clean once condemned now I'm made free he turned my darkness into light and now I see once in ashes there's beauty once in pieces I'm complete My Redeemer now resides He lives in me Oh, He is alive And I am bound to death no Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Let our worship reach 
takes a lot of courage to sing that song. That's why I didn't sing it. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Uh, thanks for laughing at that, Chad. I appreciate that. Kids are dismissed uh, for the GPS programming. It takes a lot of trust in God to sing that and mean it. I give it all to you. Do what you want to do. That's pretty intense, isn't it? It really uh, feeds well into this morning's message Paul's letters, uh, letters to the Thessalonians opened with this in chapter 1, and we looked at the last few weeks. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We are writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God give you grace and peace. We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and your enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. For when he brought you to the good news, for when he brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true, and you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of severe suffering it brought to you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. Verse 8. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. And they speak of how you're looking forward to coming, the coming of God's Son from heaven. Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. As we've been discussing this incredibly personal letter, we've looked at uh, how it's personal from God to the believers in Thessalonica because he said that they belong to God, that they are his property. We talked about how God's plan for us was not to merely keep us from punishment and from sin, but his personal plan was actually to make us his kids, to make us his children. We talked about the danger, uh, the, the tendency we have to sing songs like we just sang or, or, to, or to hear things like we are the children of God and not really understand just how personal and real that is. We treat it like it's a metaphor, an example, kind of a way to describe our relationship with God when in fact that is the nature of our relationship with God. His ultimate plan for us was not merely to keep us out of hell, but actually was to bring us into his home. I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. That was his plan. We have a tendency, well, and Jesus talked about judgment a lot because that's where people's mindset is. People are just trying to get mercy from God. They don't understand how much more he has to offer. But while we are talking about hell, Jesus is thinking about heaven. 
He's thinking about our adoption. In fact, in 1 John chapter 3 we, last week, we looked at, See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children. And that is what we are. I mean, you get a sense when John writes this to the church of Ephesus that he's writing to them. He's saying, look, we're the children of God. We really, really, really are the children of God. It's, it's not just an example. It's important that we understand that this thing from God to people, to humanity, is personal from God's perspective. In fact, the very first day where man sinned against God, God didn't, knowing that they had sinned, God didn't come down looking to, to you know, bang them upside the head. He came looking to walk with them in the cool of the day like they had always done. After Peter denies Christ three times publicly, Jesus actually makes breakfast for Peter and the boys and, and wants to fellowship with them. He wants to hang out with them. It's personal from God's perspective towards the disciples. It's personal from God's perspective towards the Thessalonians. And it's personal from God's perspective towards us. He did not send His Son into the world to make us religious. He did not send His Son in the world to make you Baptist or evangelical. He did not send His Son into the world to make you great or moral. He sent His Son into the world to make you His kid. That's Ephesians 1.5 to make you his kid, and that's personal. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we saw that it wasn't just personal from God towards us, but because we are his adopted children, and that's literal, because we're, we are really his kids, because we're his family, it's now personal between God's kids. It's personal from Paul to the Thessalonians. It's personal from you to the person next to you. This is personal. In this passage I just read to you, we saw how much their choice to follow Jesus had encouraged Paul and their faithfulness in times of trial and persecution, and he thanked God regularly for them. Later in Thessalonians, he's going to call them his pride and joy. The words are personal. He talked of how powerful their reception of the gospel was when he first came to them. He talked about the effect on their lives, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the testimony now that was passed, out, passed throughout Asia and beyond Asia. He, you get a sense of, of weirdness when Paul says, you know, we can't go anywhere without people telling us how you received the gospel. Such a powerful statement. As the world rejected them, though, you get a sense as we read through the rest of this letter that they become actually more important to each other. Their gathering of the church in the New Testament was not a business or a political, uh, it wasn't centered on a political agenda or to overthrow Rome like the Jews had become. The Jews had become in many ways a political action committee trying to overthrow the Roman government so they could take charge of what they thought they deserved. Sounds a lot like Christianity today. But in fact, the gathering of believers in the New Testament time became something out of necessity and a thing of joy. They needed each other. Our community, our fellowship, our family becomes a bigger deal as the world becomes less of a safe space for us. As that becomes more difficult, this becomes more enjoyable. If everything out there is safe, this gathering is just a business. A business that centers on changing lives. And we evaluate our product based upon how good we're doing, based upon human evaluation. And the fact is, that is a satanic distraction from how God values. It's really, really important to understand that if we don't really grasp and understand and have a change of our worldview on how personal this is, we actually begin to structure the design, organization, and function of a church based upon business models. 
which may in fact make us successful from a worldly point of view, but terribly failure as it relates to making disciples, which is our task, making and maintaining disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, who go out from the walls of the church and serve God out there. It's not to make sure that we have a Republican House and Senate and President. It is not to make sure that the government disperses money in a proper, compassionate fashion. That's not why the church gathers. The church gathers not so that the bathrooms in Target are always male or female. That's not why we gather. We gather to remind each other it is finished, it is well with our souls, and it's only a matter of time till these wrongs are made right. And we got to tell as many people as we can that they can join us. Despite Satan's best efforts for, to keep us from realizing this, we are, in fact, God's family right now. You are God's children. This is our safe space. We're gathering, we are nothing more than a gathering of aliens and strangers, of ambassadors of another kingdom, and this is all literal. Because we've been adopted out of this and into that. I, I just, I want us as we go through this uh, First and Second Thessalonians and we go through First and Second Timothy, I want you to wrap your minds around this. It is a worldview-changing fact. We are no longer from here. Your American citizenship is your secondary citizenship. And that isn't just for Americans. Paul, Peter writes to his believers and says, grasp your real citizenship. Satan has a vested interest in keeping us trapped in the things of the world. And I know that it's difficult because we see, we feel, we taste, but you have to understand that what you see and feel and taste is a foreign place to you now. This is our kingdom, a piece of it, a gathering of ambassadors waiting to be called home where we will enjoy our king again. We are adopted into another kingdom from another place. We bless this country and this world as we live out our daddy's values. That's how we impact them. As you love the unlovely, as you minister to the unministerable, as the deplorables become your mission field, as the homosexual, the AIDS person, as you reach out to them in a way that even religious people don't understand, you bless this culture as God's kids. You bless them, not by Facebook rhetoric, but by an invasion of love directed and guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is a God movement we're a part of. It's not a Baptist movement. It's not an evangelical movement. It isn't the Christian right. It's God's kid movement. And it's really, really hard for us to balance that out because we find ourselves angry and frustrated and overtaxed and mistreated and disrespected. And I assure you, it's only going to get worse. I've read the end of the story. Then it gets really, really good. But we find ourselves, if we don't grasp this, frustrated. Uh, last week, and, and maybe, and, and it was a good criticism. But let me clarify what I said. Last week, somebody uh, after the service came up and, and shared with me that he felt I was in error and I it was wrong for me to say that we're not at war with the Taliban. Um, he shared with me that we are, in fact, at war with the Taliban and we have American military men dying and women dying over there in that battle. So let me clarify. I was right. We are not at war with the Taliban. 
we're not at war with ISIS. We are the children of God. We are not the children of Barack Obama. We're not even the children of the Constitution. We are children who have been bought out of that into the blood of Jesus Christ. As an American citizen, I'm going to vote in two weeks. I have an amazing array of choices. But let me be clear. As I walk into that booth, I'm not throwing my vote away. I'm going to vote for one of two people that can win. You do what you want. And when I walk into that booth, I am not going to lament that they're both losers. One is unfaithful to his wife, and one is unfaithful to her country. I'm not going to lament that. Why? Because I don't know if either know Jesus Christ. They are acting exactly like you act if you don't know Jesus Christ. And it is time for the church to quit trying to get the world to act like the church. Maybe if we spent more time acting like the church inside of the church, we wouldn't have to worry about what the world is doing. We are the children of the living king who is on his throne. And I remind you that he used Nebuchadnezzar in the past. He used Darius. He used wicked Jewish kings to do his thing. Saul. The fact is he's God. He supersedes all that. And I don't have to fret about it. The worst thing that they can do to me is kill me. And I'm already dead because I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to be tortured. I don't want my kids tortured. I don't want to be hurt. And I don't want my tax-exempt status to be taken away as a church. But if that's all they can do, I've already won. And the church today is acting like our future is dependent on whether or not we have a reprobate or a criminal in the White House. Well, which one are you going to vote for? I'm voting for both of them, because I found out I can vote twice. <laughs> just, just teasing. <laughs> we need to breathe. We need to, we need to relax. We need to vote. And then you need to go to dinner. Because you guess what? On November 9th, the sun is going to come up. You know why the sun's going to come up? Because God said sunrise. And the sun is going to go down. And our comfort and our tax thing may change and our health insurance may rise in price. But our king is still seated on the throne. And that doesn't change. It just, it just doesn't change. And here's the really cool part. That king, he's my dad. And I'm not afraid of him. I'm not afraid of him. He's my dad. Don't fear your dad. Don't fear your daddy. He's got this. But I don't want it this way. I, I know. I know. I don't either. But soon, soon, it will never be this way again. Soon. These are your people. Nobody knows what that means more than a southerner. I learned that from Donna Bustler when I moved here. She used to say in staff meeting, we're going to go visit my people today. And I didn't understand that. I, and I now know that that meant she was going to Nacogdoches and she was going to visit her family. And I would go home and I would tell Julie and Anna and Zach about Donna's family, Donna's people. Then a song came out. These are my people. It's where I come from. You know, country music's a Christian art, by the way. <laughs> I was moved yesterday as I was in Dallas and I was listening to music at the Arboretum. Ah, it's got plants and stuff in Dallas. Anyway... 
I was moved spiritually when that very spiritual song, God is great, beer is good, people are crazy. I thought, wow. That's like in 1 John 3 or something. It's right. You know, you know what's fun? is It's just fun to live and know that I'm an alien and a stranger and a foreigner in this land. I really am. Let's be breathe better. These are your people in this room, and I want to remind you that that's how Jesus felt. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus was speaking to a crowd, and his mother and his brothers stood outside. He's referring to his birth family. And they were asking to speak with him, and somebody told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, and they want to speak to you. And Jesus, standing before the crowd, asked, well, who's my mother? Who is my brother's? Then he pointed to his disciples and says, look, these are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. He said exactly what I'm talking about right now. These are your people. These are your people. When you go over to First Assembly, those are your people. When you walk into Harmony Hill, those are your people. Not everybody, but those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's your family. Whatever they believe about tongues or the sovereignty of God, if they have accepted Jesus Christ's offer to forgive their sins, they have been adopted as much as you and I have. doesn't matter if they're Baptist, Pentecostal, Methodist, Lutheran, name it. If they have accepted Jesus Christ's offer alone to forgive their sins, that's our people. It's our people. That's your mother and your brothers. And I have news for you, church. This is your family now. Would you do something for me? I saw this on TV and I always wanted to do it. And this fits. Would you look at somebody near you that you're not related to and say, you are my family? You can do that. Pretend you're charismatic for a second. Look at you. Now, don't break out in tongues. You're too good at this. Okay, stop. Let's pray. Even that doesn't work anymore here. You know, it's true. They may be ugly. They may be rich. They might even be poor, but that's your folks. That's our family. And it's real. And somehow, we got to get our mind back around this. That this is, it, it's not business, it's personal. It's very personal. And I think we know it intrinsically. That's why when a pastor gets caught in adultery, we get mad at him. How dare you do this to me? What we forgot is he's a fallen guy too, or she's a fallen girl. That we need to, we need to realize that we wrap our arms around each other and we walk this. When we get a glimpse of this reality that it's personal, that we're family, when it sinks in, when we actually experience it and live like it, it really makes us start to question, well, then how do I go out there? If this is my group, if these are my safe people, if this is, if this is my folks, then how do I live when I'm ministering? And in, the, in chapter 2, Paul's going to address two particular I- issues, and he really actually doesn't address them as doctrinal issues. He has a conversation with these Thessalonians first section in this morning section is how does that relate to him ministering to them? How did the fact that it was personal between him and them, how did that affect his ministry when he came among them? And then secondly, and this will be next week's text, he's going to talk about how then does it affect how you live in this world? A very fair question. If we were really to buy into the fact that our vote is our second citizenship and our Americanism is our second citizenship and this is our primary one, if we had more passion for this than that, we would have to begin to ask ourselves, how then shall we live? How then shall we minister? What what does that look like in our lives? And he answers that in chapter chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians 2.1 actually begins with this. You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. 
I love pointing this out, especially on Wednesday nights, statements like that, because we have a tendency just to overrule it, override it, just read on. He says it wasn't a failure. And I want to stop you for a second. I want to say, do you know why he actually says it wasn't a failure? Because there was a lot of them that saw it, they felt it, they were there, and they're thinking it. They're actually looking at Paul's ministry among them, and there's rumors going on, which is why Paul writes this letter, and they're thinking, man, maybe he wasn't who we thought he was. I want you to think with me for a minute. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life, not the old morals, not, not the old, uh, you know, what you do with your money. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. I know that that verse is familiar to all of you, but I think in our hearts as we, we become familiar with verses and we stop thinking about them, but I think we've limited its scope in a big way. Um, This statement actually says everything changes the moment you get saved. Not just pieces of your life, not just your your parenting technique or your marriage technique or your raising, you know, your, your, your business techniques. Everything. It says that the old life is gone and a new life has come. Everything has changed, including how we view success and failure in 1 Thessalonians. How we view success and failure, that's how much this new life, this adopted life, this this new life in Christ, this new kingdom, it changes actually our value system as well. For instance, our old life says we we need to win at all costs by keeping score, and when you're not winning by that score, you change your tactic. That's what the world says. This new life says, actually, in Romans 8, 35 to 37, look at this with me. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? The word anything in Greek actually means any one thing. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or even threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sakes we are killed every day and we are being slaughtered like sheep. Nope. Despite all these things, overwhelming, what's the word? Victory is ours through Christ who loved us. In other words, when we do ministry, when we serve, when Paul came to the church of Thessalonica or, the, or, or Thessalonica and there was no church, when Paul walks into that community and most people reject him, he was not coming from a position of, oh, I hope they like me. He was doing the deal whether they liked him or not because overwhelming victory was already his. I want you to understand something. Spiritual victory is yours already. You have been crucified with Christ and you no longer live the life you live in this body. You live by faith for the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. That's Galatians chapter 2. You are pure and holy according to Colossians chapter 1. According to uh, 1 John 1, 9. If you've confessed your sins, he's faithful, he's just, he's, he's cleansed you from all unrighteousness. You stand before him and this world from a position of victory. Well, we have so many hypocrites. If they're children of God, their hypocrisy still is lived out in victory. Because our victory is in Christ. Overwhelming, not just kind of victory, not just, oh, I guess you're in, but overwhelming is victory is, victory is ours through Christ who loved us. The old life value system, and that's really how we have to perceive life and ministry here. It's a value system or worldview, if you were. 
The thing that has to change, that, that's the slowest part of us to change as the children of God, is our worldview. We still evaluate everyone and everything from a victory-loss point of view based upon human senses. And what he's saying here is that this new life value system says, by faith we leave the winning and the losing in our daddy's hands. But boy, is that hard to adjust to. Which is why Paul tries to, he tries to help them understand that even though it looks like he's losing from a world's perspective, he was in fact winning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated in Philippi. Man, our, our lit ministry and our lives kind of stink. You know how badly we've been treated, treated in Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare the good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. Now you know what it was like to walk into Thessalonica before there was the church. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. Wow. That's a worldview shift. Because even in our ministry planning, we want people to like us. If we give more stuff away, you know how to grow a church, give out a new car every Sunday. I assure you we'll have three services every Sunday. I mean, the chances are pretty good, 50-some a year where you could get a new car. And half of you are hoping you'll be the winner. I mean, it's, it's not hard. Just have enough money. You can make anything grow. Ask our present politi political people. It's hard to adjust to this new life context. But that's what we have to do. Because we're foreigners. Because we're the property of God. Next, next week, Paul's going to talk about the difficulties of just living as God's kids in a foreign world. But here, he's talking about doing ministry in a foreign world. Please don't get confused this morning, because I'm not talking to pastors or Bible study leaders or deacons or elders. I'm talking about every one of you. Ephesians chapter 2 that we love to throw out there says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. Does anybody disagree with that? And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Does anybody disagree with that? Salvation is not a reward for good things we've done. Well, I am a nice person, but I know. So none of us can boast about that. Salvation is an act of God and mercy. For we are God's masterpiece. Why can't you boast about it? Because you're the result of His work. He has created us new now in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Every child of God, everyone who has accepted Christ's offer to forgive them, every man, woman, and child who's been adopted into the family of God, every one of you who this morning claim to be part of God's family are a minister. This is your mission field. As you leave here, there's a big sign above the door that says you are now entering your mission field. That isn't cute, it's not turn of phrase, it's not program, programmatic, it is a fact. You have been planted in East Texas, most of you from birth, for the purpose of ministry. Your life, once you accepted Christ, if you choose to accept it, is missional. It's missional. It's not self-serving, it's not comfortable, it's missional. And Paul wants them to understand, and he's praising them because they bought into that. 
Now, the church of Ephesus sort of bought into it. The church of Ephesus kind of goes inward, and they make sure that their preachers are good and their doctrine is good, and they make sure that they have ministries for those outside, but their life wasn't missional. How can I say that? Because he says, I have this against you. You don't love me or others like you did at first. If Christianity is merely a fish on the bumper of your car, then you haven't really had a worldview change. If you don't go into the voting booth, and prayerfully consider what God would have you do, then you haven't bought into the fact that you're here to bless a culture and society. I, I, I know, oh, he's promoting so-and-so. You don't know who I'm promoting. I'm not promoting anybody. I'm simply saying, if you're going to vote for Hillary Clinton, you better have prayed up. Oh, he's a Trump guy. <laughs> if you go in and you vote for Trump, you better have prayed up. If you go and vote for the guy who doesn't smoke marijuana anymore, what's his name? Thank you. Was that Hayden? One percent of this congregation is voting for Gary Johnson. The fact is, they're all a mess. Why would anybody run for president of this country who's saved? Why? Because they're called by God, maybe. If they're a foreigner. Best thing that could ever happen for this country is to have a president that was a foreigner here. And I don't mean a foreigner, somebody born in a different country. I mean somebody who's been adopted into a different family. But we don't have that option this year. So prayerfully consider it. Have you prayed about this holiday season? Oh, I don't even want to think about it. It's going to be so expensive. So make it cheaper. How about having people in for coffee, your neighbors? You know, we've, uh, Julie's been talking about women's ministry and different things that we want to do this Christmas season. You know, a few years back we did the lights and some of our staffing things went away and then we had to replace some equipment that would have cost us tens of thousands of dollars. So we stopped doing that. And then this year we made it real simple. We got our agape feast. We've got ministry opportunities through Operation Christmas Child. We're going to have a couple movie nights, but we only hold 350 people for those. They're going to be fun. And you know what? There's going to be nothing spiritual about that except God's people coming together and laughing a little bit. If you've not seen White Christmas, you've not celebrated Christmas before. My kids go, are we doing the black and white one or the color one? It's only in color. Like I said, it's going to be in color. Because when you say black and white, the kids are like, black and white? Why would a movie be in black and white? If they say that, you just look at them and say, shut up. You can do that. My son came to me one time. This is totally off topic. He came to me one time. Uh, I think it was like in third grade. And he came home and said, Dad got these new CDs. They're huge. <laughs> I said, that's called a record, and it's not new. We're going to do two movie nights. One's a Sunday night, one's a Friday night. We're going to do uh, White Christmas on the Friday night, and then on the Sunday night, we're going to do the, the really spiritual one of, um, um, you'll shoot your eye out, uh, Christmas Story. That's a great movie. You ever seen it? Yeah, <laughs> just makes me cry. <laughs> Fragile. And that night, we're going to have you dress up as your favorite character in the movie. I want to be the guy with the yellow eyes. Do you know why we're doing that? Because we need this. If all we do is that, we don't value this. We just need to laugh. And then we need to go, because the work of the Lord is hard. But this matters. This is not the sum of what we do with mission cash 
or what we do politically or what we do in our community. This is refreshing or it's supposed to be. Because out there it's tough. Especially if you're living missionally. 1 Thessalonians 2.4, he says, We speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. You've been entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, though, not people. Ouch. Well, what if they don't, what if they, I, I don't seem, you know, I try to share Christ with people, but they don't ever respond. That's really not in your control. It's not in your control. Live to please God, not people. He alone examines our motives. Oh, that matters too? Yeah. It's personal between you and your daddy. Do it for him. Our new worldview, our new life, our view of success is not based upon how we, we are received or even our level of effectiveness, but whether or not we are pleasing God's. So how do I know? How do I know, pastor? How do I know whether my heart is right? How do I know? Pray what David prayed. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out in me anything that offends you. Look, I keep forgetting to tell you at the end of messages that the application of said messages are not get better. They're not. You'll notice I don't say that. I, I don't tell you to... I, I tell you to knock it off if you're being stupid. As a child of God, you've been set free from slavery to sin. So if you're out there having an affair, or drinking like a fish, or looking at porn, here's my exhortation to you. Knock it off! You're going to destroy your world. You will not destroy your relationship with God. Having said that, the application of these messages isn't to figure out who to, worship, to, who, to, who to share Christ with more. That's not the application. You see, what we're talking about here by way of personal and not business is not trying to get you to effectively do more for the kingdom, but fall in love with the king. That will change your world. It will change your worldview. I've used this illustration in the past, but I can't get a better one. Before I married Julie, I did not like going to the mall and shopping for women's clothes. You're relieved. Before I married Julie, I didn't antique shop for things that I owned when I, you know, 30 years ago. That wasn't my thing. But I really like it now. I enjoy it. When the kids are gone next year, we're, in case you didn't know, we're kicking both of our children out of our house next year. <laughs> Zach will be in Chicago, and Annie will be somewhere between Nacogdoches and Ann Arbor. We're accepting scholarships now. Uh, Ann Arbor, I keep saying Ann Arbor. That's because I'm still serving the Lord in Michigan. <laughs> in Michigan, I was a pastor, and I had half the church were Spartans, and half the church were maize and blue. So I keep saying to her, so if the Lord calls you to Ann Arbor, she's not even applying for Michigan, University of Michigan, if she ends up in College Station, Can you turn the microphone in the audience up for just a little bit? I've got people watching all over the country. Watch this. College Station. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? They always do that. It's like going up to a Marine and going, Semper Fi. You can tell how far they've been out based on how loud they go. Yeah, that's right. Semper Fi. Listen, 
they're going to be gone. And one thing we talk about is I'm off on Fridays, so we may travel a little bit on Fridays. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to look at old Texas. A couple weeks ago, I took uh, Anna to College Station, not Ann Arbor. I'm going to have to get used to that. Is my kid going to do that if she ends up going there? How's everything in College Station, Anna? Whoop! Oh. So I went there. She spent the day. I, I, I wanted her to be alone on campus, so she spent the day alone. And I found out, I found out that I didn't realize this, uh, that uh, Washington on the Brazos was only 25 minutes from where A&M is. That was one whoop there. It's get, you're getting old. So I went there, and I, and I spent time looking at where they signed the Constitution. I've got to tell you, to be honest with you, it's during this political season, and I was praying, God, please don't, please don't make this happen again. I really, I really don't want to be with open windows signing a Constitution in the middle of a war with other people. I found myself praying for our country there. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to go all over this place. We went to, uh, it's not Round Rock, Julie, what is it? Round Top. Uh, la a few months ago, and they were having a sale. And we went to eat in this place with like eight, eight chairs and a really good burger. Um, those of you laughing know what I'm talking about. It's really badly decorated. But you know what? I could care less about the stuff we looked at, but I could care a lot about how she looked at it. When you fall in love with the Lord personally, when it becomes personal, you start having compassion in your heart for the people you're meeting even the ones that annoy you. You just fall in love with them. What do you see in them, God? For too long, people like me have tried to convince people like you to act better without having a better heart. In this study, I'm hoping to tell you, surrender your heart. It's okay to love that person whose pants are down to here. It's okay. Well, I don't like what they're... It's not your world. They're ruining our culture. No, they're not. Millennials are ruining our culture. Just kidding. <laughs> They're not. And even if they are, it's not your culture. It's your secondary culture. We don't win or lose based upon what we feel. That's millennial. We win because of what he's done. And we value life not based upon successes or points. We value our life based upon whether or not our Father is pleased with our activity. And how do I know if He is? Oh, God, I run to Him. Help me see my life from your perspective. Help me see if there's any wicked way in me. Pray the prayer of David. Let me, let me end the first 12 verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 5-12. through 12. Never once did we, he explains His ministry to them, to us. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we never sought it from, any, from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had the right to make some demands of you, but instead, but instead we were like children among you. Or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled even, even to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as, uh, as we preached God's good news to you. You ourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know that we, were, we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to 
live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy, for he called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. Do you know why he writes this defensive section of scripture? Because there's a lot of him going, I think Paul is self-serving. Paul could have been more successful, and he isn't a very nice guy. He came in, and he didn't even wine and dine us. And Paul explains here, because he didn't come to wine and dine anybody into the kingdom, he came to please his daddy, who called him for such a task as this. That's where the apostles and ambassadorship comes in. Your task is not to be a great American, or to have people on Fox News say, I tell you, we'd be a mess without those born-againers. We don't, that's not why we're here. We are here to tell people who think we're crazy that they can join our little clown car. That's the invitation of the kingdom. Give it up for the king. Follow the king. Be a winner in his work. That's our task. It's personal. He uses the imagery of a mother, a father, of a child. From God to them. From the apostles to the people. And then from them to each other. Even, even their calling by God in verse 12 was personal. He called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Notice that he's, everything God does seems to be enjoying all he has, his wealth. It's so hard to wrap our minds around this. We're talking about having a changed worldview. When you get saved, you still go and live in the same house and ha you wear the same clothes and, and you have the same wife and the same kids and the same job. But everything underneath has changed. It's hard to see that, to feel it. But the fact is, what has changed is whose you are what your priorities are, how you view success and failure in this life. Even bad days can't be completely considered bad days if they draw you closer to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 20 explains the reasoning behind his words. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know it too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having some spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. Just pause for a second. You know what Paul is facing? Paul is facing a group of people going, well, you know, that group over there, that, uh, that guy, he's got a signboard. I mean, they got electronic lights and music. It's spectacular what they're doing over there for God. And Paul says, I'm not here to do spectacular ministry. That's not why I came. Verse 13, if it seems we're crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And if we're in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Now you know what the impetus is for his ministry. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive in this new life will no longer live for themselves. What happens when the church begins to live for herself in the name, in the name of Jesus? I want you to ponder that for a second. What happens when a conservative individual starts applying Christian values to his own worldview? That is dangerous. When we begin to attribute our morality, our own view on life, on everybody else, our style of music, whatever, and we call that thing Christian, we have completely left the gospel. Because Jesus Christ was not an American. There are some who get offended that we don't have a flag up on the stage. Let me be clear. That is intentional. Because this is not the United States of America. That's not who we are. 
anyone, legal or illegal in this country, of any socioeconomic status, of any racial background, is welcome in this room to hear about Jesus Christ. And if they are his child, they are welcomed as a brother or sister in this room. Because this room does not represent this country. This room represents a different country, led by a different king. I love the flag. It's just not the most important thing to me anymore. Jesus Christ is. And his kingdom. Which, by the way, is what he told the disciples to value when they were freaking out about money. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. As opposed to the Jewish kingdom, wanting to rule the world. Nothing wrong with voting. Nothing wrong with being a patriot. As long as it doesn't interfere with being a child of God. And the minute it does, you have to decide which one you're going to bow to. Conservative or liberal. I pick on conservatives because I am one. But let me be clear to those of you who bend on the liberal side. The answer to the problem of poverty and injustice in this society is not a government plan. It's the body of Christ looking beyond color of skin and wealth and jealousy and envy. An exchanging of wealth does not solve a culture's problems. It only exacerbates hate. The answer to the problem in the United States of America is not Republican or Democrat. It's Jesus Christ. And until we, the children of God, believe that, we're going to be part of the problem. And if you don't think we are, please spend about an hour this afternoon on Facebook. You've got Christians saying that you're not saved if you vote for Trump, and you've got Christians saying you're not saved if you vote for Hillary, and you've got Christians saying that we all need to smart, start smoking dope and move to Colorado because Jesus likes that. You know what? Jesus Christ wants you to walk with him. In the booth, out of the booth, before the booth, on top of the booth. He wants you to walk with him. So who should I vote for? I don't know. If you want, bring me your ballots. That's how I get to vote more than once. It's okay. Nothing's changed. We no longer live for the goals set by the founders of this country. We live for the victory set by the king of the universe. Live for him. It's personal. Stop tearing each other down. Build each other up. Encourage. Pray for can't do that. I'm too angry. Then pray the David's prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. You know why he said that? Because he had anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Not the world. Not his subjects. And lead me in the path of everlasting life. You are Christ's ambassador. You are his child. Don't settle for 
just citizenship in the great state of Texas. Don't settle for Americanism. Not when you are, in fact, a child of the King of Kings. It's personal. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning's text. I thank you that Paul went into this community and didn't scream politics, and he went into this community and he didn't try to sell the gospel. I thank you for the example he is to us. I thank you for the example of this church that's lives were completely transformed by the message of the gospel. And my prayer for us this morning, Father, is that as we turn on the news and we watch sports, and we can't even watch football now without political stuff being thrown in our face, Father, as we watch that, I pray that we would have compassion for those stuck in that, not hate, not anger. I pray that the rhetoric that comes out of our mouth is that rhetoric of Jesus Christ. I love you. You don't have to live like this. I thank you that you value black lives and white lives and brown lives. I thank you that you value illegal people in this country and people who were born here. I thank you that you value Putin and George Bush and Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton and Anthony Weiner. I pray for his salvation this morning. I pray for his marriage. I pray that his wife, who is a Muslim, would meet Meet not the prophet Jesus, but the king of kings Jesus. I pray that our country would have a revolution, not with guns or with rhetoric, but with Jesus Christ. And I pray that it would start with Carpenter's Way Baptist Church in East Texas. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Vote and go to dinner. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes.